this month, uh, one of the things that you'll notice if, if you're in our church Facebook group, and if you're visiting here today and you're like, well, I'm not in that group, what do I have to do? Just send us a request and uh, we'll let most people in. And uh, there's always room for one more, right, Alton? Uh, one of the things we're going to be doing this month on Facebook is each day you're going to see one of our kids in our kids' ministry uh, reading a different scripture online. So Laura's working with them, and, and they're picking scriptures that remind us about the hope and the joy and the peace and the love that Christ brings into the world. Uh, and so in a month that, that celebrates all kinds of things, uh, we want to make sure that our kids are being reminded about Jesus being uh, celebrated. Uh, that how the story of Jesus coming to this world is one of the most important stories in all of human history. This morning we're going to be talking about how uh, because of Jesus we have incredible life-changing hope in our lives. Uh, Jesus brings us hope. We're going to talk about what that, that means. But, uh, but be sure and get on there, engage with, with our kids and their videos. And, and I hope that that's a blessing to you throughout this, this month as we move through these uh, studies. And I think it's important because uh, in all of the enchanting nature of the nativity story, uh, the story about Mary and Joseph and their travels to Bethlehem and the star and the, the kings and the shepherd and the angels and, uh, and all the cute little animals that were there in the manger, uh, I think we have sometimes this tendency to let the cute enchanting nature of that story uh, distract us from the fact that it's one of the most pivotal moments in all of human history. That in that moment, the universe is pivoting on its axis away from darkness and toward the light. And, and that prior to Jesus being born, some of the biggest questions of, of the Old Testament, of the Hebrew Bible, Israel's been walking with God through all of history. And there's these questions that keep coming up over and over again. And they come up in all the stories of the Old Testament that you know so well. Questions like, can a single person ever stay faithful to God? And the answer in human history up to this point was no, and no, and no. You have heroes of faith like Abraham and David, and over and over again they find ways to, to disappoint you have uh, all kinds of people that attempt to do their very best and over and over again fall short. And God gives us a covenant and he gives us forgiveness and he's even giving grace in ways in the Old Testament. But over and over again, people fail to be faithful the way that God's called us to be. Big questions come up over and over again like, can God live with his people in the midst of all of the unfaithfulness? One of the great stories of, uh, of unfaithfulness in the Old Testament is the story where Moses is up receiving the Ten Commandments from God and he comes down and he finds the people uh, celebrating in, in revelry and sin and idolatry and they're, they're partying around this golden calf. And God and Moses get into what feels like a parental argument. Your people are doing awful things. And he goes, no, 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 these are your people. Don't blame these people on me. And God says, I can't go with you into the promised land or I'll kill them. I will for sure kill them. And as it's Christmas season and many of you are going on road trips to visit family and anticipating this kind of a moment with your spouse, just know that you're in good company, that God says, I can't do road trips with these people. Someone's going to die. If you've ever been there. 
there's so many correlations between road trips and, and Exodus that it's just, it's remarkable. Uh, Israel has a you know, multi-book uh, story of saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? No, and it's your fault. Um, that's the story. And so God says, I can't go with you or I'll kill you. And Moses says, if you don't go with us, there's no point to us even existing. We won't go without you. But this, it's this wrestling match. And it's a wrestling match all through the Old Testament that involves sacrifices and, and, and people being conquered and, and then being redeemed and God having to save them and doing all of these things just to try and answer the question, can God live with his people in the midst of their unfaithfulness? And the answer at the end of the Old Testament is it doesn't look like it's ever going to work. It's too hard. The gap is too far. There's questions like, God, this world seems really broken, and we don't know if you can fix it or put it all back together. What, what, what are you going to do with this broken world filled with darkness? And at the end of the Old Testament, the answer is, we don't know. And then you turn the page, you turn the page, and there begins to be this story about a boy that's going to be born in a manger to a young Jewish girl who has incredible faith and a husband who is devoted to her even in the midst of the social stigma that would come with that and the cost to him. And he takes Jesus as his adopted son and they raise him and he becomes this boy at the temple who impresses the religious leaders and he becomes this man that starts bringing hope into the world in ways that are completely surprising to everyone. And so don't let the cuteness of the illustrated nativity books that you've read before get in the way of how much the entire universe is being turned on its axis when God shows up in this world. Because when Jesus is born, the questions get answered differently. Can a single person ever stay completely faithful to God? Yes, Jesus did it. Can God live with people in the midst of all the unfaithfulness? Emmanuel, one of the names that we talk about a lot in the Christmas season, and anytime we're talking about Jesus, means God with us. It's one of the names given to Jesus, God with us. Why is it that name? Because the question, can God dwell among his people when Jesus is born, the answer becomes a resounding yes. The question, can God fix this broken world with all of its darkness and, and all of the things that are going wrong in, in the world at large and in my own personal world? When Jesus becomes the light that shines in the darkness, the answer to that question is yes. The world is never the same again once Jesus is born. The birth of Christ is the resounding answer to all of these questions past, present, and future. The birth of Jesus is the arrival of hope. It's the birth of hope. It's the end to the reign of darkness in this world. You know, you can't, it, it changes everything. And it doesn't just change what happened then, it changes how we experience now because of how we think about the future. I want to stop for just kind of a minute here and do a little bit of an aside, but it's an aside that I think is really helpful uh, to what we're talking about today. Um, last week, we told you that, that one of the things we would be doing today is uh, recognizing and honoring Bill Brown. 
what we didn't know was that, that he would pass away uh, about 36 hours after that. Um, yesterday, we had a really special service in this room where we remembered a shepherd at Northwest. We remembered him for the many, many things that he did, the way that he served and led at Northwest, but not just here. Uh, Bill was the same at home and at work and at church. He was a, a consistent person with integrity all the way through. He was a baker. He was uh, a leader, a servant, a shepherd. Uh, so often he gave jobs to our teens here at Northwest. So often he gave jobs to people that were poor and struggling to make ends meet. And he gave them a chance to start uh, building a new life for themselves. Uh, he was a leader. He was a mentor uh, in so many different ways. Uh, he was a pillar of faith at Northwest. And he served here as an elder uh, since 1976. 1976. Um, how many of you were born after 1976? Okay, so yeah. Um, in your whole life, this is the first week that Bill Brown wasn't a shepherd to this congregation. Uh, and that's worth noting. It's worth noting. And so we want to recognize him and, and remember him even this morning as we do that. And these flowers are from that service and a, a visual reminder uh, of the beauty that he brought in a special way to this church and to the kingdom of God. But one of the things we talked about yesterday that, that really connects with what we're talking about here about hope is, is we talked about uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And there's this special instruction here about how to think about people who die. And what Paul's doing here is when he's writing to this church in Thessalonica is he's telling them. And now we're in a, in a place in Scripture where it's after not only the birth, but it's after the death and the resurrection. And, and he says, listen, you have to change how you think about death now. You have to change how you understand the end of your life as a result of Jesus crucified and resurrected. It's not the same anymore. In fact, it's completely different. And here's what he writes. He says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul's, <coughs> Paul's message here is that we don't have to grieve like other people do. We do still grieve. We do still grieve. Grieve is the process that God gives us to to give words to our feelings and our suffering in a way that lets us take control of them instead of keeping them a secret, letting them control us. That's grief. It's how we've figured out over the years that you work through the grief stuff. We still do that as Christians, but we do it differently. Our grief is filled with hope. Our grief is filled with hope. 
And so what that means is that our grief seminar that we do here at Northwest, and, and if you're here today and you don't know about it and you're going through a grief situation, uh, just walk to that building today at 3 and you're going to get welcomed into some people that are telling their grief stories. And you're going to walk that walk with them. And we use a Christian-based grief seminar. Are there grief seminars that are not Christian? Of course there are. Um, they're, they're, they're using the tools of using our words to give name to our feelings so we control them. The difference is our grief seminar, all of that healing work is still happening, but it's all bathed in hope. And it's filled with hope. And we have this hope because we know that death isn't the end. Death is uh, the thing that separates between now and later, but we're going to end in the later, which is eternity with God. And so for all those who are in Jesus Christ, death has lost its final sting. Death has lost its power over us. And it begins to change not only how we think about the future, but how we live in the present. Because if I've got eternity with God coming in the future, it changes the importance and significance of things in the now. It changes what I value the most. It changes what I, I, I spend my money and my time on. Because I know that eternal things matter more than temporary things. Without the hope, the temporary things are all that matter. And you've got to get caught up in those all the time. But the eternal things give us the hope that lets us reorganize ourselves around God's kingdom. And we need this hope. We need this hope and not just when we're going through grief and not just for funerals. Uh, there are times in the world where it seems that the world gets darker and heavier. And, and you kind of know what I'm talking about, uh, where you turn on the news and it's scarier and there's more fear and there's more anger in the world. Um, as a minister, you know when these times are happening because one of the things that happens is that I will get more uh, frequently, people will give me the question, hey, preacher, do you think these are the end times? Does that surprise you? I get more and more people ask me when, when during these heavy seasons in the world, do you think we're in the end times? Uh, I will tell you, my answer is I don't. Uh, I have the luxury of having so far been right 100% of the time on that answer. Uh, I look forward to being wrong. The good thing is, I'm pretty sure that if you're wrong about that, there's a limit to how much people can say, I told you so in heaven. And so it's kind of a no-risk proposition saying no just all the time. Um, there's probably a couple days that you're allowed to say, I told you so. Um, a lot of like, wow, they're here? And then someone goes, I told you so. And there you go. Um, but at some point that probably goes away. Uh, I, I don't think that we are personally in the end times, mostly because I take Jesus at his word that uh, only the Father knows when that time is coming, and I don't think he's given me that ability. What I'm more interested in is not trying to guess if heaven is close chronologically. My job is trying to bring heaven close through how I live uh, my walk as one of Jesus' people. Amen. I want to bring heaven into the world now uh, through the work of the church and through our work as the body of Christ. And I'm just more interested in, in that. Uh, but in dark times like we are living in, and I don't deny that that is real, 
but things feel heavier lately. Uh, the past several years have felt like there's all kinds of uh, visible and invisible threats all around us. Uh, in those days, we have a special need to lean into the hope that Jesus brings us. A special need to find hope where we might otherwise not find it. And so the passage that we read earlier this morning, Isaiah chapter 9, is one of the most hope-filled prophecies about the future coming of Jesus. And at that point, the world only knew the darkness. The light had not yet come into it. And so this prophecy is one that is, is promising that in the midst of the darkness, that light will come. And, and the backdrop, the historical backdrop to Isaiah's writing here is, uh, is that around 740 B.C., so this is what, about 20, 2,700 years ago, uh, Israel had been plagued with poor leadership. The people of Israel had been suffering through the reigns of four ungodly kings. Leaders who put themselves and their own desires ahead of God. Kings that pursued idolatry instead of commitment and loyalty to God. Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. They were corrupt and they led the people far from God. They'd just taken them in every direction that wasn't towards God. And Isaiah wrote these words knowing that God was going to have to intervene himself to bring the people back because their leaders weren't going to do it. That's the background to Isaiah. And I offer you that because I think uh, it doesn't matter what you, you think about the world that we live in today, I think we can agree that there's some poor leaders in the world leading us in bad directions as humans today. We live in a world where we have leaders of countries that are sending soldiers into war against people that their people don't even hate or have feuds with. We have wars that are emerging and, and the people that are going to fight them aren't even sure why they're fighting them or they're shooting at the people in front of them. And we can't seem to find our way out of those situations. And that's just the beginning of some of the poor leadership things that are happening in our world today that make this backdrop of Isaiah sound a little bit familiar. We keep hoping that the next leader will, be, will rise up and lead us in better directions, and some do in Israel's history. But the passage is making two major statements. And the first one is this, that the world is broken and that God doesn't deny that. The world is broken. That's not a problem for Scripture. Brokenness has always been part of this story because we keep choosing unfaithfulness. And when we do that, things keep falling apart. And in the midst of the brokenness, there is this second major statement that there is a coming Savior, a deliverer child, who will be the dawning of a light who will bring a light to the darkness that the world's going to struggle to understand. But this light, once it shows up, is going to change everything. Right. So here's what Isaiah writes. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. 
He says, listen, you look, at, you look at all this stuff that's going wrong in Israel at the time that Isaiah writes, and he says, it's all going to come to an end. There's an end to that suffering. There's an end to that war. There's an end to all that, that you are praying that God deliver you from. The yoke will be removed. How's it going to happen? For to us, a child is born. A son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. In the midst of Israel's poor leadership, in the midst of poor leadership in our world today, one is coming who will have the whole government placed on his shoulder. Now you can't vote for him in a ballot box. You vote for him by being loyal to him and by bringing his kingdom into ever increasing measure into the world we live in. And his kingdom grows and his influence increases. But make no mistake, when you get discouraged about the state of our world today, Jesus is in charge. He's been in charge for a long time. Jesus is in control. And if you're upset because someone else seems to be in control, it's because you're not paying attention to what God's really up to. Jesus is in control. And so we have the hope that Isaiah promised to Israel is promised to us, that Jesus will bring light into the darkness. That promise is there for us. And so often when we think about the hope that Jesus brings, we think about that grief hope, the one that's there when we think someone died, but we don't have to worry about it because it's not goodbye, it's see you later. And so we think that hope is something for the future, that it's something we wait for, that it's something that is, is a fast forward situation. But that's not what we see in Jesus's ministry. In Jesus's ministry, uh, we see Jesus arrives and he immediately brings hope to shepherds and hope to kings from the east. We see Jesus show up and he speaks to a woman at the well that's hiding there in the middle of the day because of her shame. And he speaks truth and love to her and speaks hope to her. She leaves the well with a hope that she hasn't experienced in years. We see a woman who touches Jesus' garment with hope that he can heal her and that her bleeding of years and years that has separated her from everyone she knows will be taken away. And she's made whole, a fulfillment of her hope. Jesus heals a man who's so filled with demons that he's, he's, he's out in the wilderness and all these bad things happen. Jesus goes to a widow who's lost her only son, and he brings that son back to life. And she has hope again. In the moment before Jesus came into that woman's life, her hope was gone. And then Jesus raises her hope in the form of her son. In the pages of the Gospels, over and over again, out of these stories that Jesus has with people, they go from being hopeless to hope-filled. And now here's what I want you to know. They don't know that he's going to die and resurrect at the end of the story. 
They don't know that at the end of the, the story, he's going to say, if you believe in me, there is no death for you. You can have eternal life. They don't know. And Jesus is already filling their lives with hope. You don't have to wait till you die to receive the blessings and benefits of the hope you have in Jesus Christ. It's already happening. It's already happening. And it breaks through into the present. Jesus did it back then in the past. He's still doing it today in the presence. John, uh, the gospel writer who saw all of these things, began his gospel this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The hope isn't just someday. It is someday. But the hope showed up when Jesus was born, and the darkness was overcome by it. You know, when you're watching a movie in the dark, uh, it seems like this always happened in school. In school, you'd be watching a movie. They turn off all the lights, and you'd be, you'd be, your your eyes would be so used to the dark, and all of a sudden the movie would end, and the teacher would walk over and flip on the light, and what does everyone do? Oh man, it's so bright! It's so bright! All of the universe had to grab its eyes when Jesus showed up, because the light exploded into the darkness. And all of these people that Jesus meets started their day in darkness until the light walked up and, and burst light and hope into their lives. And it's still happening today. It's still happening in the present. John would later write, this is Jesus' words, towards the end of his ministry. He's giving several chapters of long instructions and prayers for his apostles and disciples as he gets ready for his arrest. And one of the things he tells them is this. He says, listen, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And here's what you need to hear. Here's the, the word for today. There's a lot of Christians today that feel like we're having to live in a dark, dark world. And that they say, listen, the world is just heavy. It's weighty. The darkness seems almost overwhelmingly. Things aren't the way that we want them to be. And the Bible gives us room to tell God that he's in charge and we wish things were different. We have that space. But we shouldn't say that we're in the darkness. We shouldn't say that we're in the darkness. Because when Jesus was born, a light came into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And, and we might say, but Jesus, you left us alone here. But Jesus said before he left, I will not leave you alone. You are not orphans. 
I'll leave you my Holy Spirit. And the questions of can we ever be faithful? We can by the power of the Spirit. Can God dwell with His people? He lives in us by the Spirit. Can we ever have the relationship with God that we are, are desiring to have? We can because Jesus gave us the Spirit. And we become the light. We become the light. We are Jesus' light to the world. He calls us to be salt and light to the world. He says that those who love one another uh, have the light of Christ in them and are living in the light. And this image for John over and over again comes up. This image of the light exploding into the darkness. And so this season of waiting, waiting for Christmas presents, waiting for Christmas morning, but in a bigger way, reminds us that we wait for Jesus' return. It reminds us that Israel back then waited for a Messiah to come and sit on David's throne. And we today wait for Jesus to come and eliminate the darkness. That's what we hope for. We hope for a day when Jesus comes back and destroys the darkness completely. And it's no longer part of this universe or this creation. All of it is made light. But we don't just have a hope based on what happened in the past and what's coming in the future. We wait today with hope in the present because we who have Christ in us through his spirit don't live in the dark anymore. We just wait for its elimination in, in the end. But we wait with hope knowing that God's doing incredible things in our life even right now. We don't live in the dark anymore. If you're here this morning and, and you've never responded to that invitation, that invitation to come out of the darkness and live in light, then I'm going to invite you this morning to make that decision to become a Christian and follow Jesus Christ. You do it through faith and baptism and then letting His Spirit start its work in you Amen. to become part of the light in a world that still doesn't understand because of the darkness that Jesus is going to eventually destroy. Our reason for hope. If you need to come forward, come forward as we stand and sing. God will make a way
Thank you, Kent. I think it goes without saying at this time of the year, those kinds of messages especially are needed, especially for those who are recovering right now from loss. Is doing fine. He's not there. I'm sorry, Yuba. When we first came to this church 44 years ago, Bill was one of the first ones that came to visit us. Being a shepherd with Bill for the past 20 years, Spending time with him in prayer is a privilege that many of you have experienced, but probably no one been able to experience as we did. We prayed in times of joy, sadness, prayers of hope, prayers of promise. We laid our hands on people as we prayed for them, and even in his Health declining years, I saw Bill get down on his knees more than once to pray for you. I can 